Lights, lights out on another season of Flippin' F1, our intrepid little cast where four fanboys fire off about the world's greatest motorsport. We'll talk culture, couture, and cuisine while getting into all the on-track action. With our usual set of goofball games, gritty debate, and off-track antics, we'll try to bring those of you who are new to the sport into the technical side of the game, while also saying stuff that make established fans want to start a flame war with us on Twitter. As always, I'm your host who never floats, Rand, and with me is my regular panel of Marinello misfits. But since you've been away from us for a few weeks, maybe a few months, or maybe you've never met us at all, let's introduce the gang. Starting with the professor back again. How you doing, bye? I'm excited to be back. Season two, happy to get started. Starting off with a bang. Of course, we talked to the professor because he has been, amongst us at least, the longest standing fan of this sport. How long have you been watching? As long as I've been alive. So Not bad for a 75-year-old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's keep the numbers down somewhere. In about the 30, 40 years, let's go with that. Yeah, okay. Fair <laughs> enough. And of course, our view from the passenger side, out left, we've got Spence. Hey, Randy, how you doing? I'm always good. How you doing, man? I'm hanging in, enjoying my bourbon and getting ready to chat some F1 with you guys. Yeah, yeah. You know what? This has got to be, what, your third, fourth season watching F1? This is my third season in my second tour of this sport. Like, I watched it a lot as a kid, back kind of in the Schumacher with Benetton days, like way back then. And then I took a long time away from it, came back, as I've said before, with the kind of drive to survive wave and just absolutely enamored with it. Really have been enjoying it. Schumacher with Benetton. Now that's a name drop I was not expecting at all. That's a long ways back. I thought he was going back to Schumacher, but I thought, okay, he'd go back to the Marinello days. But, you know. Yeah. Benetton. Wow. Benetton. Phil, I've been watching a long time. Like, certainly not all the way back to, like, Fangio's last title like you, but, like, you know, I have have watched for a while. And it begins. (laughs) The war of words. Here we go, folks. Everybody ready? (laughs) <laughs> and of course, our technical junkie and resident attorney Stax was having a buy. Oh, not much, Rand. Just happy to be here to yell about Formula One with you idiots for another season. You've been collecting Formula One magazines or at least auto sport magazines for years before we started this podcast, right? So I started watching Formula One probably about the time my parents sprung for cable in about 90, 91, 92, somewhere in there. And I remember having fights with them. I don't want to go to church. I want to watch car racing when I was eight, nine years old. And I kept up through it through the Villeneuve years. And all through high school, I worked at a grocery store and I stole every Formula One magazine that they ever had. Not go to church? Why are you going to upset the professor like that? Come on. My only question there, Gareth, is Villeneuve years? I mean, I think there's like one year of Villeneuve success. He almost won in 96. Fuck off. <laughs> Didn't he also race for Benetton at some point? No? Maybe not? No. He never raced uh, for Benetton. I mean, no, he, no. he raced for basically every other team and never really won another race after Williams, but that's another story. Really? Yeah, he never yeah, raced for Williams, Williams and then uh, yeah. BAR, Honda. So, and Sauber. Oh, yeah. I forgot about the Sauber years. And didn't he have like a couple of races with Renault? Possibly? Uh, I don't know. I feel you know like what? he had, had a couple. Man, you stopped me on that one. Anyway, uh, lovely to be here. <laughs> and uh, We got sidetracked. Squirrel. <laughs> we got sidetracked with Formula One minutia and trivia, as we're wont to do. Sounds good. Man, you know what? So, start of the season, crazy end of the last season, but it all erases itself after a test in Bahrain. And then the first race of the season out in the desert, which was wild, under the lights, at night, first time out. This was exciting. So let's talk about the track first. Phil, give us a little history of this circuit. I love this track. 
It's never disappointed in the 16 years that it's been on the circuit. It's always been a fun race. It's got a lot of straights. And then just for Gareth's pleasure here, it's got a lot of twiddly bits as well. But no, I think the track is great. When you go down at the initial straight, you come down to corner one and two, that complex, which is a very tight 130 degree turn, roughly speaking, corner one is. So it goes back on itself a bit and then loops around into another straight, which is amazing. And then at the top end of that, which is uphill, you get to corner four and you get into that lovely sweeping complex of turns, which really shows you the balance of the car. If they're in tune to be able to handle themselves, it's going to work very well there. And if they're not, aka McLaren, you're going to see them struggle all the way through. So let me do uh, my first one of these this season. So why does the balance of the car matter, Phil? We hear this particular term all the time, and Max complained about how the balance on Sunday wasn't the same as it was on Friday. Why does the balance matter? Well, I mean, he's talking about balance in terms of how the car is handling and performance-wise. Formula One cars have to be able to manage straightaways and turns, right? And the whole sport is about getting the combination of how a car can go around a corner as fast as possible and go as straight as fast as possible. Those are two different physics problems at work. Because straight, you want to be as low and as flat and have as little obstructions as possible. And to be able to maintain your speed around, you've got to be able to carry a large amount of downforce, which obviously slows the car down. Creating grip. And this year, obviously, with the new regulations and the floors and everything like that, it's a whole, the cars are all different beasts to drive, right? Yeah, no, and that makes sense. That makes sense. Bahrain's an interesting place for a race, Spence. Why travel to Bahrain? What might entice us to get out there? Yeah, I mean, Bahrain's an interesting place. It's another one of these Middle East, fairly restrictive places. But I mean, it seems like there's a big expat community there. The thing that really impressed me about the race this week was how much it looked like old times there. The grid was packed. Like Martin Brundle was absolutely fighting to get through to talk to people in a way that we haven't seen him do in a while. There's lots of fans around the stands, people not wearing masks like as religiously as they would have been, say, a few months ago. It looked like a bit of a throwback to me, and it seemed like it was a fun time, even if some of the things you might imbibe in if you were in a Western European or North American country aren't allowed. I love how pre-COVID years all of a sudden are a throwback. That's absolutely brilliant. So it is getting to be a real throwback. I mean, we were talking a couple of years ago, probably not throwing as far back as 2004, when I'm happy to tell you Jacques Villeneuve partnered the one and only Fernando Alonso at Renault for the last three races of the 2004 season. Right. You're welcome. Wow. Uh, see, yeah, name drop it again. Thank you for finding a way of working that one in, Spence. Yeah, Spence on the tip. Wow. <laughs> for those of us following along at home, how many points did Jacques Villeneuve score in those three races? Oh, he got none. Absolutely <laughs> none. <laughs> yeah, that's wild. I mean, Bahrain's a really interesting thing. I love that it's run under the lights, right? Like you see the sun come down and away they go and, and it becomes a whole thing, which, you know, leads us to... This season, which is totally wild for its technical specs, Gareth, give us kind of some of the highlights of what's new this year. I mean, we know the entire car has changed. There's a whole whack of things, but if I'm a new fan, what makes this all so special? Well, I guess the biggest new thing is there's some prettier colors. That's really important. The liveries look much nicer. As you said, Rand, what we call the formula, Formula One. They changed A, B, and the FIA. Change it up so it's completely different. And if you look at an F1 car these days, you're going to notice a couple key things if you look at it next to last year's car. First thing, the wheels are bigger. Finally, Formula One is finally using 18-inch wheels. And 
They got little wheel covers on them for aerodynamic purposes. Upgrade from 13-inch wheels that were used for probably three, four decades, I think. So finally caught up with the midsize sedans five years ago. And the other thing you'd really notice is the rear wings look a bit different. They look like loops almost. The front wings and the front end of the car, it looks, let's call it smoother. And there's fewer sticky up bits, fewer bits of fencing and things like that. And all this is really an effort to make the cars move through the air in a different way without getting horribly technical. The car pushes a hole in the air and the air helps attach the car to the ground. It's part of being able to go fast through corners. The more the air pushes your car down, the faster you can turn the car and the more speed you can carry through a corner. Well, let's talk about that for a second, right? Because like up force, down force, that seems to be a big, big thing this season, right? Cars are bouncing or we're hearing the commentators have dubbed it porpoising. Well, there's a porpoise for it. I've never seen a porpoise in video or real life. I might need to check out the Disney channel for this, but they're calling it porpoising. It's interesting, right? Like I'm reading reports, things Red Bull had to sacrifice downforce to keep up with the Ferrari while the Ferrari ran with high downforce because the engine was compensating. And obviously this has an impact on different stuff. Most importantly, these new 18 inch tires, right? Like just tell me, tell me a little bit more about downforce versus Upforce, I guess, is the opposite. Upforce lift, if you will. Or force lift. Ah, okay. I missed it. Lift. There you go. Yeah. It's the Bernoulli's principle. It's how airplanes fly. You just flip the wings upside down and sticks the cars to the road. But these cars also do something called uh, ground effects, where they shovel a bunch of air under the car and things called Venturi tunnels, where you move the air through them in different ways. It actually sucks the bottom of the car down towards the ground through the vacuum. And that's a way to generate downforce. It doesn't leave a big mess of air behind the car, which was one of the problems from the last few years. Uh, big mess of air behind the car means the other car can't follow as closely. So we've got that sucking you down with how the floor is being real fancy. And one of the problems is the car gets sucked down to the ground and sometimes it'll bottom out, it'll touch the ground, it'll pop back up because of what all the stall. The aerodynamic effect just stops completely and the car bounces back up on the suspension and they get sucked down and bounces back up. And you see drivers, especially like Mercedes, I think Aston Martin pretty bad, bouncing down the track. And all the teams are trying to get on top of this by things like stiffening up the suspension or raising the ride height of the car. And these are things that Phil mentioned that really kind of detract from how you can move around the circuit through the air because everything's a compromise. But this is one of the really exciting bits of our new formula is everybody kind of said, okay, we've got to put a new car on track February of 2022. And everybody seems to have gotten there a slightly different way. So we're seeing all these great different ideas, 10 of them, about how to use the new formula, the new regulations to make your car the fastest, which is one of the coolest parts about being at the start of a season that's got a new formula. I think we're going to see a lot of like really, really quick development on these cars over the season. And that begs the question, right? Because I mean, we heard this a lot over the course of the race weekend is that floors are making a difference. This is a question for all of you, right? Like, really, what kind of difference can a floor make on a car? Well, I mean, you can have hardwood floors and tile floors and carpets, right? I mean, they all have different friction rates, right? No, and, and, and no, tile is really good. About? Okay. It, 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 it's <laughs> going to be heavier. It's going to slow your car down. It's going to be more durable. Sorry, I couldn't resist. I was waiting for that one for a while. <laughs> yeah, and so tell me more, Professor. We're seeing all kinds of different floors, all kinds of different waves on the bottom of the cars. Yeah, they've, the teams have worked hard to find different ways of creating 
that effect that Gareth was talking about in terms of creating that suction to the ground, right? Uh, and some have mastered it a lot better. So if you look at the Ferraris and the Haas's, they don't porpoise down the tracks nearly as much. And some don't have a good grasp of that at all. If you look at the Mercedes and the Aston Martins, right? It's all about the designs more than anything, right? In terms of how they're getting the air to where they need it to work. The challenge that they have this year is obviously in, in past years, they've used a lot of wings and fins and little attachments on the barge boards and things like that. And floor design itself had a lot of ups and, and sort of fins on it. Fencing is the technical okay, term. There you go. Thank you. They can't do that this year. In this formula, they can't use that much extra barge boards and fins and everything like that. So they've got to create the suction another way. They've got to create that downforce another way. They're much cleaner looking cars, aren't they? Yeah. They are. They are definitely yeah. leaner looking cars. Spence, you're our resident expert on Pirelli tires, being the only one of us that owns a set. So, I mean, how is this affecting tire wear? It seems some of the cars are struggling to get their tires in the right temperature. I mean, I've always understood like the aim of these new 18-inch tires to allow people to push a little bit more and then have the tire recover rather than to totally degrade and go off. But it's something that I think some of the teams are still trying to work through, McLaren certainly being one of them. When you listen to Lando and Ricardo talk post-race, they're talking about struggling to get the tires in the right window all weekend. And it seems like it's one of the things that these teams are, are still struggling with in some quarters to kind of get a handle on. And now when you talk about the right window, like we're talking about heat in the tires, right? I mean, so let me ask this question again, this is for all of you, like, we're Canadians. You know what? Like, tires are always cold the moment we get in the car. So how does heat play a difference in the tires, especially with, like, that much more surface on an 18-inch tire? Randy, I guess you're doing it wrong. Like, you get in the car, the first thing you do is stamp on the brake and then absolutely mash the gas, rev up those tires, and get a little bit of heat in them. That's what we do out here in Vancouver, anyway. His Jetta can't do that, though. That's the problem. Yeah. That's actually how every Spencer household trip to Whole Foods starts. I was going to say, what am I, a McLaren driver? Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> the heat in the tires is important because they're rubber compounds. And the warmer they are, the more they stick until they get too warm and then they don't stick. <laughs> well, it changes the composition so that they become far more ingrained and harder to sort of drive on, really. So they're sticky till they're not? They're sticky till they're not. And if you watch F1, you'll see the tires come out of these little call them tire blankets. They're basically tea cozies for tires and they're electric and they warm up the tires. But this year there was, I want to say 30 centigrade cut in how warm the tire blankets could be because F1 is actually trying to phase out tire blankets because they're very wasteful in terms of consuming electricity. You've got tires that have to work when they're just a little bit colder kind of coming onto the track. If you watch the race, you saw that Lewis put on a set of hard tires, I think on his first stop. And then basically skated off on turn one and turn two. He really looked like me the first time I stepped on an ice rink. Like yeah. just <laughs> all over the place, no control whatsoever. Anytime you see him getting passed by a Sauber, that's a fun thing to see. Made for some good racing though. I love that you still call <laughs> me a Sauber, even though it's what, an Alfa Romeo now? I mean, yeah, it's technically Alfa Romeo Sauber. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's fair. Yeah, I mean, that's really interesting for racecraft though, right? I mean, tires not being able to be warm... The moment you throw them on in a pit, how does that change pit strategy? Well, I mean, you've got to think about the loss that you would have for a pit being a much larger loss of time because you've got your regular in lap that you're pushing for, so that's not going to change much. 
but then you put on these cold tires, you're not going to be up to full speed very quickly on these. As quick, yeah. So you've got to get them up. And as we saw with Max, is complaining, the team wanted him to do it a certain way. They wanted him to bring the temperature in slowly rather than at full force, because that changes how the tire works, apparently. And so that means that he was a little slower than he wanted to go. Because he was driving to a delta rather than driving at full force. I assume this means long term that it, that will impact the ability of teams to undercut, right? Like it, it's going to make that outlap tougher to gain time. It's going to make the outlap slower. Yeah. yeah, it means you've got to have a bigger gap to make the undercut work. You just used another technical term, undercut, Spence. So explain that. That's when you pit before your rival to try to get a faster time on track than your rival's currently doing. Because you're pitting for new tires and you think you're going to have a tire advantage on your outlap. And the important thing to point out about the tires, the pit stops take longer because the tires are bigger, heavier, and bulkier this year. You say that, but Ferrari had a 2.3 second pit stop. I mean... We saw a lot of three second stops. We did, but 2.3, that's not far oh. off from what they were pitting last year. No, it's, it's not far off, but it's not you know a 1.99 second stop. Okay, true. It's actually quite a bit faster than they were doing when Seb Vettel was still on the team, when he was like wow. famous for coming in for the eight-second pit stop. <laughs> <laughs> but that's interesting, right? I mean, this season on average, we were seeing like 3.2-second pit stops, right? I mean, the two-point pit stops, it sounds like it's become rare. Like, I saw much slower pit stops. I don't know. Is that just tired? I don't think they're going to become rare. I actually think we're going to see more of them as the pit crews get more used to working with these bigger, bulkier tires that have the hubcaps on them that makes them harder to handle. I mean, the more they do it, the better they're going to get, and they'll bring the time down. Same as, well, I mean, even five or six years ago, they weren't pitting at less sub two seconds. So this is a really interesting aspect of the sport that doesn't get talked about, right? Because, I mean, we focus on the drivers, and yeah, you know, people who aren't fans of the sport talk about, well, it's just guys driving in circles, but those guys, I mean... They work through all kinds of weights to figure out the G-forces that they're going to be doing. But what we don't talk about a lot is the actual physical taxing of pit crews. And there's a great deal of fitness, I would think, on the pit crew. Gareth, you're our fitness kind of guy. You're the one who owns a Peloton. I don't even own it. I just have use of it. <laughs> <laughs> Please, it came into this relationship. Yeah, so the pit crews. The pit crews are they are the mechanics. They're Mechanics, mechanical engineers quite often who you know, build the cars at the track, take cars apart, repair the cars at the track. And they also have to set up and break down the entire pit structure and the support vehicles and all that. So it's a very, very physical job. But the physicality of the pit stop is very much a coordinated, like lifting, moving, shoving these big tires in a kind of a very quick and direct manner. And the other thing is the wheel nut guns, Formula One cars just have a single nut on a spindle on a hub, those guns apparently kick back with like hundreds of pounds of force when you use them to ratchet the wheels on and off. So there's an incredible amount of physicality. And they do have to train a huge amount to do that because people say, oh, you're not athletes, you're going around circles. To do a sub two second or two second flat or whatever pit stop and get all the physicality that right, both in terms of reaction time and coordination with your teammates, because I think there's what, 14 or 15 people on an F1 pit stop these days? Like It takes quite a bit of physical training, both weight and eye-hand as well. Yeah, and this is the thing, right? To me, this is like the football teams that take ballet lessons, right? Like there's a ton of coordination, both hand-eye and choreography, plus 
just the physical strength to make some of that stuff happen that really go into the sport that I don't think it's talked about. I mean, we talk about the drivers a lot and the drivers face a ton of physical demand, but I think those pit crews just face a ton also of physical demand to make this sport work. It really is a team sport. It's not just the driver. The driver does a lot of the work, but I I think there's so much more to this that, you know, if you're new to the sport, this is some of the stuff worth watching for. Not to mention brain being a muscle, like the ton of brain work that is also going on behind the scenes. And then you got track marshals who also have to be in physical shape as well, right? Who like need to run out and do things quickly and then get the hell off the track and then back on again and then back off again. I mean, they're on your, your safety car and your medical car drivers. There's, a, there's yeah. a lot of physicality in the sport. If anybody who watches Drive to Survive, obviously the opening titles always come in over top of the pit stop. And that's a real-time pit stop. Like you can see the kind of the ballet there. Yeah, I thought it was worth, at least for our first cast, talking about this, because I think there's a complexity to Formula One that gets missed so often. Even, God forbid, that I criticize Drive to Survive, but there's a physicality to this sport that really is greater than a single person in a single machine, right? The machine, yeah, is part of it, but to me, the machine is the equivalent to a hockey stick, right? It doesn't work unless there's a human behind it. That's the old saying is, if you don't have teams... You just have 20 drivers standing around on a piece of tarmac who aren't going to go anywhere. Yeah. Speaking of not going anywhere, it's time for everybody's favorite game. It's one that we love to play here at Flippin' F1. It's time for... Bingo! That's right. We've got nine boxes on the board. We make crazy prognostications every week. The idea is that it is bingo. So for each box, we're all trying to score points in the box to try to get a line. If we get a diagonal, we get a couple extra points. If we get two diagonals, we get a few more points. And along the way, somewhere in the middle, there's always something different because that middle box is always fun. Each box has its own set of parameters that we're trying to guess on. And so let's get into it, fellas. First box of the year, box one, Quali Grid predicted top five. Spence, I know you've been rearing to talk about this because you did well on this. Hey, I absolutely nailed it. Didn't get the order right, but I had Verstappen, Leclerc, Sainz, Hamilton, and Perez. And hey, those were the top five guys in the grid. So all the points to me. Oh, really? All? <laughs> yeah. All. He, he's starting to act like Gareth all of a sudden. I, I mean, just, you want to take a look at my prediction on that box? Because <laughs> I'm pretty sure you got to split those at least with me. <laughs> Yeah, maybe. Although you had signs down in fifth. So, I mean, I don't know if we can really take your prediction too seriously there. There was no way in the world that I was going to put Hamilton in fifth. Are you in your mind? Professor, how'd you do? Well, I didn't do as well as any of you guys did. I had the top three, not in the right order, but I had them in there. Verstappen, Leclerc, and, and signs was my order, but obviously they formed on the pits. A little bit differently on the quality thing. I then thought that Russell was going to do amazingly better than he did. And I had Perez in there too. So Mr. Saturday. What are we going to do with Mr. Saturday all of a sudden? Well, Mr. Saturday has been relabeled as Alex Albon now, right? So, Mm -hmm. I mean, at least according to Sky F1's commentators. So, guys, for fuck's sakes, can we leave that one alone? Like, why do we have to call him Mr. Saturday? He didn't even qualify that well this time. I mean, like, for his car... Under Brits don't work on Sundays. You yeah. know this. <laughs> no, no, that's the French. That's the French. Uh, they don't right. work on Sundays. That's right. Mind you, they don't work on Fridays and Saturdays either. So I guess that rules us out of going to France anytime soon. We can't go to Paul Ricard? All right, fine. 
<laughs> what about Monaco? That's kind of France. I don't know. I was really hoping for a Pinode. A Pinode return. <laughs> As we make fun of Phil's mispronunciation of everything. God. Just wait a while. Wait till we get to one of those ones again. You okay? wasted. You're wasting good ammunition here. No, no, it'll come right back up again. Don't worry about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was good. So, uh, you know what? Spence and I are taking that box. I'm taking the one point for that box. I will say this. I mean, on the qualifying side of things, it was amazing to see the differences that the teams were doing and how it wasn't the same as last year where you could almost guarantee it was going to be Red Bull and Mercedes somewhere in the, in the top two. Yeah, Hamverbot. I mean, you could always predict that just going forward. So it was great to have. I have to give kudos and, and huge props to Haas because on their qualifying, Magnussen got himself into seventh. Okay, so let's go there for a second, Professor, because yeah. I swear, like, we didn't even know who was going to be in that Haas seat about a week ago. <laughs> like A week before, and they were doing the practicing, and they flew him in literally for the day two and three of their practice. Yeah, it was. it's amazing to see somebody who's been out of the sport for a year, hasn't really, and he's done some racing, but hasn't really done, not this level of racing for sure, step into a car and instantly, I would say instantly be competitive. Yeah. Right? Instantly be competitive in the team that he was fired from a season ago in favor of a pay driver who turned out to be complete garbage, as did his father, well, not the sponsor. There. Well, I think we should, right? So for a little bit of background for our listeners who may not know what's going on, last year's Haas driver was Nikita Mazepin. For those fans who've been listening since the beginning, thanks, Gareth's mom. We appreciate you. It's one of those things, right? Nikita Mazepin was let go from Haas for many, many reasons. Some geopolitical, some sporting performance, just because... He's Nikita Mazepin. It's our favorite punching bag. I don't think we can say why he was let go. No one of us know. At the end of the day, the team didn't have the sponsorship that had actually got him there. And that's a normal thing for a lot of racing teams, not any. He was not a very good driver. No. He was Russian, which in and of itself isn't a problem. But his dad, who's sponsoring the team, is a Putin buddy who's on a sanctions list. And by extension, so is Nikita Mazepin. And it was unpalatable for the American team to keep running Russian livery and Russian money, given the geopolitical events and all the horrible things happening in Ukraine. Yeah, Kara said for us. Thanks. So, yeah, Nikita Mazepin out. And for those who watched Drive to Survive, right, like the last time we saw Magnuson, he was kicking in a door, I believe. No, he started the season off by slamming a door. Yeah. No, fuck smash. Fuck smash. Fuck smash. smash the yeah. door. Exactly, yeah. fuck yeah, smash door. Yeah. Outright fuck smash the door. And so yeah. as a result, Haas had to revert half of their R&D money into making sure there's a door they can't be smashed this year. But still, you know, <laughs> that and the floor. But they seem to have made that work because he showed up on quality day, man. That was solid. Well, I mean, they spent all of last year not developing their car, which is part of the reason they were so bad. And putting all of it into this year's development. And then they've spent time partnered where they can, obviously, with Ferrari, and have just spent tons of time. I mean, because of the wind tunnel adjustments, the amount of time that each team can spend in wind tunnels has been adjusted invertly to where they sit, they fall in the hierarchy of points at the end of the year. That meant they had the most amount of time to spend in the wind tunnel. And I think they did some amazing work. Mm-hmm. So let me ask the question then, because I mean, it's, it's there to be asked. Right. Yeah. Okay. Great. We had this top five, and that was awesome. Before we get to the bottom of the five, who the hell surprised you during quality, good and bad? What were your big surprises? Other than the Haas, both Haas drivers were good. 
you know, I was surprised that Alpha Tari didn't do as well. I thought they were going to do better this year. And then obviously we've got the, the packing order of McLaren, Williams, and Aston Martin and wondering what's happening to them. Yeah. You know, I was shocked as hell that none of you called Gasly in the top five. I wasn't going to, but... I wanted to, but I'd seen in practice on Friday that he wasn't going very well. So that's why I didn't... I mean, I'm a big Gasly fan, but I, I just couldn't put him forward for that yeah. reason. No, that's fair. Yeah, I mean, our bottom five was four Mercedes engine cars. <laughs> Which is quite a flip around of circumstances from last year where they had a clear engine advantage, right? Yeah, not so anymore. No, and potentially, but the I think the biggest kind of great things from qualifying other than Kevin Magnuson is his teammate, Mick Schumacher at Haas, qualified in 12th, and I don't think Mick qualified any higher than like 15th last year. Yeah, he made it into Q2, I think once or twice well, maybe. Yeah, I want to say twice because I know he did at yeah. Paul Ricard when he caused a red flag after setting a decent lap and kind of managed to get into Q2 that way. But if it was more than twice, I can't remember. Yeah, exactly. And then the lone rookie in the field, Zhou Guan Yu driving the Alfa Romeo Sauber Ferrari. He made it to Q2. He, he was 15th last in the Q2 rankings, but he made it in. Well, so this is an interesting call. The only person of us that did not call Zhu in the bottom five was Phil, which earns him minus two points, but still. Oh, of course. Uh, yeah, yeah. Minus, <laughs> take, take points away. I also got Ricardo right. I mean, you guys just had to look at the, what was going on. I mean, he hadn't really sat in the car before the weekend. So how was he going to put that thing higher than 15? But Phil, yeah. you also had Esteban in your bottom five who wasn't there. I did. A and Mr. Saturday himself, Alex Albon, was in your bottom five who didn't qualify there. No, I didn't say I got a lot of people right in the bottom five. But I got the ones that were meant to be there properly. And then everybody else, you know, you make it up. I mean, Randy guessed that Valerie Bottas, who qualified six, would be in the bottom five. I did. I think that's worse than what I've done, though. No, because we all called Stroll and you called Latifi. So you called the wrong Canadian, which just makes you wrong at right. What are you talking about? Latifi was dead last. Yeah, uh, it was saying. Stroll and Latifi were DFL and second to DFL. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. look, guys, I'm taking this box. I had four of the five. The only one I got <laughs> wrong was Jogwon Yu. Who, you know what, credit to him. He managed to get himself out of Q1, which I didn't necessarily see. But yeah, he had a fantastic race. But our boy Lance, yeah, bottom five, pretty terrible. Getting out qualified by Nico Hulkenberg. Like, God, that looks bad on him. A guy who is a super sub who hasn't sat in an F1 car in two years. Not to mention he hasn't sat in an F1 car in two years, but he's never sat in until free practice went on Friday. Had never sat in this in that formula. car. Yeah. Kind of car, uh, right? I mean, just, just absolutely, you know, and, in, in and, that context, it worked, Lance. No, I mean, three-tenths of a second for him to outdo his teammates in a car he has never driven is incredible. It, it's right? incredible. It and their teammates and Daddy Stroll, who owns Aston Martin and the Aston Martin F1 team, he's got to be taking a hard look at whether or not Lance deserves a race seat after a couple more races. You think? And we'll get to it. He didn't race badly. He just qualified poorly. Right, because he finished twelfth versus yeah. Hulkenberg, they finished pretty much dead last, barring the teams that actually had problems. All right, so let's go over to box two. So we've done box one and box four, and right now Spence has the possibility of a line. But let's go over to box two and see where things sit. Top five finishers. Stacks had to do. 
Well, a couple of us were really rooting for Carlos Sainz to come up on top. I think Spence and I, and he did not. I, I was like, yeah, it's going to be Sainz and Verstappen. Leclerc is going to fall back. Perez is going to come in and clean up. Hamilton will finish fifth. So uh, completely stuffed that up. They had three of the top five, none of them in the right order. Yeah, so let's talk about the bull in the room because both Verstappen and Perez knocked out of this race right that at the very end. ruined my box for me. That really did. Because I had Leclerc first and them not finishing for what is supposed, I guess, fuel pump problems is what's coming out now. Nah, maybe. Who knows? Who knows? That was pretty tough to take. Yeah, I mean... Sure. But I will say this. If you look at me, I had Magnus in the top five as well. Yeah, you know what? That's he uh, did well for me. <laughs> he he did, and you know what? I'm willing to because I'm a very magnanimous panelist here, Phil. I will give you this box because you're the only guy who picked Magnuson. That was quite a call. Yeah, we'll flatter Phil for once. Yes, go ahead. Yeah, okay, Thank Phil, you, you get Thank this you. point. Yes, I'm on the box. box. I think it's the first time I've ever taken a box and out of here. Yeah, no, I Now that so. I know the rules of the yeah. game, which Randy finally explained. I mean, I never would have called Magnuson to take a top five spot. That was great. It was exciting to see. I mean, it was obviously top five only because two Red Bulls faltered and fell off. It doesn't matter but... what happens in the race. It's still, it's what happened. It's the result. And that's how fantastic live sport is. You have no idea what's going to happen. It can change in the blink of an eye. How about the bottom five finishers, Rand? Well, let's go to the bottom five, right? We'll start with me. I mean, I had Albin, I had Joe, I had Stroll, Hulk, and Latifi. I really did not have the Red Bulls in the bottom five, as did nobody. And just to remind the listeners, the bottom five were Latifi, Hulkenberg, who were still on track, and then Sergio Perez in a Red Bull-powered car, Max Verstappen in a Red Bull-powered car, and Pierre Gasly in a Red Bull-powered car. And we'll talk about Gasly in a few moments. But yeah, I mean, that Red Bull end was a bit of a shocker. They looked fine, and Max was being a little bit ornery on the radio. I'm going to be polite about it. He's being exceptionally whiny. It was a new it was a new experience to see, and obviously world champions change people. And uh, we've got whininess in every driver. It, it exists there in everybody, and it came out in full force this race with Max. Well, it goes to Andrew's theory that they're all a bunch of whiny millionaires, and because Max is the <laughs> right. world champion... The TV director has just played more of his whining radio than Lewis's this year. Please refer back to season one, episode eight, where I made this very point before giving up to the shut up Lewis crowd. No, I have to say Lewis was quiet on the radio. It's the first time in a long time. He didn't whine about tires. I don't think he was quiet on the radio. I just don't think that they were playing. No, you can go back through and listen, like watch his race in the car. He barely talks. He did whine about how early his pit stop was, though. Yeah, he did a little bit of that. That wasn't out of character. I was waiting for him to say, my tires are shot, and then go off and do the fastest lap, but that just was not happening. I just don't think he's got that pace in the car this year to do that. I mean, like that... No, I would agree. That's his MO. My tires are going off. My tires are shot. Fastest lap times three. All right, so does anybody win box three? No, I feel like we all got it completely wrong, and there's no points to be given. I had Latifi, but that was it. That's right. Perfect. I award you all no points. You are the weakest link. Oh. Goodbye. So let's go on to box five, fastest pit stop, where nobody got it right again. This is weird. Who was it? Yeah. It was, it was Ferrari. 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 Okay. 2.3. 2.3 seconds. I predicted the wrong Ferrari engine team. I mean, I thought it was going to be Haas just to oh, you're not mess with that. all of you guys a little bit. 
That was the only reason I picked Haas, by the way. It's just saying, oh, well, you've got Red Bull, you've got McLaren, you've got Williams. I'm like, okay, well, it's not going to be Mercedes because they're going to have a 78-second stop or 78-hour stop. No, you know what, Spence, you went with the safe bet, Red Bull. Yeah. What made you call Williams Sachs? They have, last few years, actually had really good pit stops. It's kind of like the one area where they didn't suck too much, quite frankly. Well, that's and I was like, yeah, maybe they brought it forward, but it looks like Ferrari has diligently worked on their pit stops this year. Although I do have to correct everybody. I was just going to say, got to change this, guys. The fastest pit stop at the Bahrain Grand Prix was 2.31 seconds for Daniel Ricciardo in a McLaren. Absolutely. Which is the fastest thing McLaren did that weekend. They know how to change tires. They can't go around a racetrack, but they know how to change tires. Holy fuck, I won the box. Yeah, I had to go looking for that, too, because I just wanted to make sure, but yeah. No, you've won the box, and just to kind of recap, so McLaren had 2.31 second, Ferrari 2.33, Alpine in third, who knew they had fast pit stops, 2.46, so like a tenth and a half up, Williams 2.47, and then McLaren with another one, Alpine, Ferrari, Red Bull, AlphaTauri, Red Bull. The top 10 pit stops, by the way, were under 2.6 seconds, basically. Yeah, 2.63 seconds or faster. Which is incredible. Do we see the pit stops going under two seconds with the new big wheels? Hire a couple of linebackers to make this thing happen? They'll get under two seconds, not this year, next year. That's my prediction. They won't get them under two seconds this year. TBD. They're not far off, though. We had some under two second pit stops last year after the FIA outlawed some of the electronic trickery. So eventually, yeah. So the middle box was Who's Haas, which, of course, we know, finally, that Who's Haas it was was Kevin Magnuson's Haas, but did yeah. any of them spin out? Mick Schumacher had a wonderful spin Mick because... had a lovely spin in corners five and six in the first lap. Yeah, Esteban Ocon tagged him, and he did this yeah. perfect 360 pirouette, kept it driving straight down the road, Yeah, only lost like two or three places. It was a textbook perfect spin. Ocon got a penalty for it. Thank you, stewards. And away they went. All right. So that actually means that Spence has got three boxes here. He could take a diagonal. He could take a straight line. You got Phil with two boxes. He could take a straight line. Can't get a diagonal. I also could take a diagonal if I did okay on my free predictions, which I don't know that I did. But we'll see what happens. So let's go over to box number seven before we go to the two corners. The box number seven is called Who's on Fire? Who do you have on fire, Phil? I picked Latifi, but I really should have picked Gasly. I mean, <laughs> that's the problem. Uh, the only one that was on fire was Gasly at the end there. But Who saw an Alpha Tauri on fire? I don't think we saw that last year at all. I did not predict that at all. Could not have fathomed that. Yeah, yeah. I called Ocon, which was completely wrong. That Alpine is solid. Minus the engine cover. <laughs> Minus the engine cover. <laughs> it's just what it is. You had Valbal on fire, Gareth. Really? I mean, figuratively. Yeah. They were blowing up transmissions all throughout yeah. testing. And Phil seemed to be very convinced on our text chat that they were going to be on fire. So he took the foil I was giving him and sort of said, okay, yeah. And you figured Alvin would blow up in his first race, Spence? Yeah, I thought that he was kind of maybe most likely. I figured that Latifi's car had caught on fire during preseason testing. I thought maybe they hadn't fixed that brake duct problem. Maybe Alvin would be on fire during the race. He certainly wasn't figuratively on fire. Like that Williams was slow compared to most of the things on track. So I don't know if I got anything there. 
Yeah, that's fair. All right, let's go over to box number six, which we call escape goats, because Lord knows they're not just scapegoats, they are escaped goats. <laughs> and so, so R- Randy, can we get a little uh, rundown for where this came from, in case anyone's curious? Oh, escape goats is my favorite moment of all the summer long. I will put this politely. Michael Massey got politely let go from his job this summer. And uh, a member of our team, you know, decided that he is not just a scapegoat. He is an escape goat for whoever was being scapegoated by Michael Massey. They not only were just scapegoating, they were an escape goat, meaning that Michael Massey got let free into the mountains. He, he got to escape. That was the whole point. He got to escape, gentlemen. He got let free <laughs> in the mountains to defy the laws of physics the same way he did in Abu Dhabi. So that's where that came from. So what we put that box in is who gets blamed for causing an accident. So let me ask, before we even talk about how we predict in this box, were there any real accidents this race? I thought there was going to be at least a collision, but I don't think I saw one. Look, the, the only one I could think of was Ocon and, and Matt on the first lap. That's the only one the stewards saw, too. So. Oh, yeah, that's the one. They, they did come together, didn't they? So nobody won that box. Let's go to box number eight. Box number eight. Free predictions. Go nuts. Spence. Well, you know what? I figured, given that he hadn't been in the car, given that he had very little time in this type of car, that uh, Hulkenberg was going to put it in the wall or he was going to end up in the gravel trap or something like just with such little seat time, he was not going to be able to handle this new breed of F1 cars. And I guess I can say happily that I was wrong and glad that Nico was able to keep it between the mayo and the mustard and managed to get it across the line. I got a lot of time for him, but he did not DNF, which is what I had predicted. All right, Stacks. I get to take all the points from this box because I'm the most correct of any of you. So it's a million points to me. I predicted that fewer than 15 finishers, we had 17, and some mechanical drama called this more shakedown. And boy, did we have mechanical drama. And we had 17 finishers. Sorry, I'm just wondering what numerical system is 17 less than 15. I said it was close. Yeah, okay. Close. Yeah, it's close. Close is only good in horseshoes, so. And hand grenades. grenades. Phil, we're going to let the lawyers figure out any versus all in this call right now. Could we? Because I think we need to clear that up. (laughs) I predicted that both houses were going to be in the top 10. Only one of them made it. Mick was so close at the end there, but didn't quite make it. Which is why you don't get the points, because you called I MSC know. ahead, if I'm reading I did, right. I did. I have to confess. I had MSC ahead, I thought. But That's you know right. What? So what did I have? I had Latifi pulls an FU for all the bullying he had about Abu Dhabi and just rips the race up and ends up in the top 10, came nowhere close. And Leclerc has a spin out, which I completely got wrong. So I will accept minus 10 for that, because what the hell? Which means nobody wins box, box, box bingo this week. And since you're all going to go, we all might as well stay. Everybody gets one point for this week. (laughs) And it's a tie going into another race week. Let's head over to our next segment. That's a Netflix moment. In this particular case, everybody knows that Drive to Survive is really what drives F1 these days. So what were the big Netflix moments for you, Phil? For me, it's going to be the K-Mag story of qualifying seventh, racing and and finishing fifth. And that's his comeback to it. I think that's the biggest one. Although if it was Netflix, I imagine they would want to tell the stories as riches to rags and the downfall of Red Bull and Mercedes and their domination. But wait, Formula One has stepping in 
and is going to talk to Netflix. So we won't see that storyline. Okay, okay. That was some of the news this week, that F1 is going to go talk to Netflix and have them tone down the drama a little bit to try to encourage everybody on the paddock to participate. Will they actually tell Netflix to show more of the fantastic racing? That would be the right solution to their problem. But this is Formula One, and they like to do things differently. Breaking from Monaco, F1 <laughs> tells Netflix the theme is not We Race as Wine. Oh, Actually, that's yeah. a great title. I like that title. <laughs> well done. <laughs> All right, Gareth, tell us about your Netflix moment this week. So Max's little knipshit about never, ever will I ever be nice to my tires on Outlap again. I see that little knipshit as played out as his potential downfall this season. He's got to adapt to these cars if he wants to win again and repeat his championship. So say he doesn't, that could be the prelude to a season of Max or a Netflix story arc of Max not repeating. All right. Spence? So I had two. So the first one I had was kind of like Phil uh, with K-Mag and his comeback. So I can see in Drive to Survive next year, them playing Gunther's post-race congratulations to K-Mac. Obviously, he was pretty pumped, and he told him, that's some fucking Viking comeback in his kind of German accent. And I thought it was absolutely great. And I can see it being in kind of the B-roll they play after the interview, Kevin, and he tells them about how great it is to kind of get the crazy call up and come back in F1. I mean, great story. I, I have not heard from anyone this week who doesn't like the Haas because they were so bad last year. Everyone is a Haas fan right now. Second moment, which is kind of a little more touching, was you know, post-race. Maybe it was on uh, Ted Kravitz's notebook or one of those post-race things. But Zhou Guan Yu, like, when he gets back to the paddock, just breaks down in his engineer's arms. Like, he's just crying. He's so happy slash relieved. I think that he heard, obviously, a lot of what was being said about him in the lead-up to the season, which is like, you know what? He shouldn't be here. He's a paid driver blah, 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 Piastri should be in a seat, all this stuff. And like to see him kind of come through, get a result for the team, like points in his first race, that's a big deal. It was just a really touching moment that I think uh, we will absolutely see in the Zhou Yu episode in next year's Drive to Survive. Yeah, you know what? I completely agree with that, right? There's going to be an episode called Scaling the Wall or some pun because Drive to Survive does this on something like peek behind the iron curtain something like that and yeah, it'd be all about joe and 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 his thing and then i do think there has to be an episode called the comeback kids like there has to be because not only hulkenberg magnuson come back but also at some point mclaren's coming back right they're gonna fight back somewhere through the middle of this season you know it's gonna happen it might be at monaco it might not be until monza but at some point, those guys are going to break through with something. And then all of a sudden, we're talking about Lando again. We're talking about Ricardo again. And it's going to be a whole story. I mean, I give you fairness on that one, that once we get to tracks that are done at more consistent temperatures over the courses of practicing and qualifying and racing, and there's more of a, call it the European schedule of things, we may see a difference because I think that isn't helping McLaren's tire problem at the moment. But I think their problem is bigger than just a, a tire warm-up problem. I think their car is just not working 
as they intended. They've got brake problems as well. We know that. I mean, they can't get the heat in the tires. We know that. It's porpoising down the, the pits as well, down the straights. I think that's a hard car to drive and hard cars to drive do not cure themselves quickly, if at all. I mean, and we've seen this in years in past. I don't think they're going to cure it quickly. I'm looking for a mid-season. It's a long season, right? It's 24 races and 12 races can make the difference. Yeah, but you've got the same amount of time. You still only have, to get to the 12 race mark, you've got, what, less than six months to get there. you got a lot of working parts to work on. Uh, and they've got a budget cap in place as well, keeping that in mind. It's not in, like the olden days, right off a car and a whole design philosophy and build a new one. Yeah, but I think this is where, and again, I know I'm a fanboy, but I think this is where Ricardo <laughs> starts to play, right? Like, I think... The one thing Ricardo does is speed back well on what's going on. And as much as he gets pissed off at not having performance, the guy does give you good feedback on the car. And they've got him, they got Lando, who understands how to drive better and will give better feedback. Between the two of those guys giving right feedback and great engineers are walking there, I think it's going to be a, a whole different story sooner than later with those cars. I'm trying to be optimistic about the FIA, but, you know. Time will tell. So my question is, by the time we get to the Canada round, flipping F1s in Montreal, will McLaren be presentable enough so that Randy will put back on his McLaren hat with the tag still on to show up at Circuit de Gilles Villeneuve? That's what I want to know. Well, the tags won't be on if he has the hat, because I will have cut them off. <laughs> hey, look, if the McLarens are that strong by then, I will wear my old Lewis McLaren shirt and hat during that weekend just to make phil happy so wasn't there a bet about this i seem to recall there was some kind of bet at the end of last year what am i forgetting was there a bet i don't know we're gonna have to go back and look i can't remember so let's go to the penalty props and steward sewer how we do this week i really didn't see a whole lot of penalties i thought there was something early and then there was really nothing else they all seemed yeah there was really only that one call for ocon and schumacher they were quiet, consistently quiet, which is actually nice in a sense. Bit of a let them race moment, which takes me to this really interesting thing that we all talked about in the text chat. We haven't really acknowledged in this cast so far. The FIA got it right. Like there was real racing this race. So did the FIA get it right or did Formula One get it right with their... Or both of them. I mean, it was a combination of both. I think, yeah, they did get it right for the most part. Well, There was real racing. There was a lot of real racing happening. It was a lot of tight action. The field didn't feel as spread apart as it had been in past years. It ended up spread apart, though. It, like there, it There's good racing. We'll see. There's naysayers but, on the internet who are saying, oh, this is one-time thing because first race and night race and cold tires and yada, yada, yada. But hopefully... It'll be closer racing throughout the year. I think it will be. But I mean, it certainly felt more competitive on that front. I like the fact as well that they're saying it's the white line, no matter where they are in whichever circuit, which is always nice. Not that every driver was obeying that one, but that's okay. I feel like there is some missed white line infringements in qualifying. People driving outside the track surface to set a fast time. But during the race, at least, they seem to crack down on that. I heard a radio message with Lewis getting a warning about track limits. They were... Four warnings, I think, given, actually, for track limits in the race. I remember hearing that during the race, like Lewis getting the warning. It was like, oh, okay, all right, well, yeah. we're calling this thing out. That's fine. No, it's good. I mean, if, as long as they're consistent with it, that was the biggest downfall of the sport over the recent years is the inconsistencies. And I don't know, did we see anybody really force anybody else off a track during the race? I thought Max raced 
Charles very respectfully. Like there was a lot of space there, even as they were close racing. I didn't see anybody. I mean, there was elbows out when there was close racing. And there was a couple of times through the midfield where there was a lot of close racing, but they just chased back and forth, which was great. Within the confines of the track, I don't recall seeing anybody really pushing anybody else out or hearing like the whole, he pushed me off track beyond the horn of the FIA. No, there were some whoa moments as the cars got a little too close. Yeah, you know, there was a, a Sainz and Albon moment as Albon was coming out of the pits and Sainz was going down the pit straight and they almost took each other out on corner one. I wonder if that's the size of the wheels now, though, right? Like with those new giant tires. Uh, you like can't no... see out of a Formula One car anyway. You never could. So you have no peripheral vision. If you're coming out of the pits, you're relying on the engineers. And if they haven't told you exactly uh, and precisely where that car is going to be. Yeah, you're at their mercy. And this is kind of where I'm at, though. Right? Like with those 13-inch tires, you could bump against each other. Like you could touch and still be okay. I'm almost wondering if those new 18-inch tires, if you touch those tires, there's just no give anymore. I think they'll be better, actually. You think? The sidewalls have less flex in them. And in terms of like Philly saying you can't see anything on an F1 car, we got in-race helmet cams mm-hmm. this race for the first time. That was fantastic. I do love seeing that. So like a shot from the right side of the helmet next to the driver's eye. Fantastic. Can't see anything. But can we see everything on the dash? You can barely see what's going on in front, let alone trying to figure out what the steering wheel is saying and what's going on in your wing mirrors. Yeah, I think there's a lot going on there, right? I hadn't seen any real wheel-to-wheel racing. I saw racing, which was super exciting. Chasing past, chasing past. Didn't see any like real wheel-to-wheel action, which be interesting to see how that starts to play out over the next little while. Well, the next circuit will be fun for that because of how tight it is. Yep. Depending on how, what they've done with the track. And then really, it's once you get to the tighter tracks, tighter circuits, that's when you start to see the heavier wheel-to-wheel action coming into play. Mm-hmm. Because we're going to Jeddah next, Saudi Arabia, yeah. which is a street circuit. And there's a number of big crashes last year when we were there. And then we go to Australia, Albert Park, which is another, it's called a park circuit, a street circuit, which again, a little bit tighter. It's not a permanent circuit. Yeah. Both of those have been changed, so we don't know what exactly we're in for, for a racing perspective. Yeah, well, so that actually leads us to the next segment, which is, what you talking about, Lewis? What you talking about, Lewis? There we are. So, all right, the best radio or broadcast quotes, and you know what? I'm going to complain for a second, because I didn't realize that I needed to watch the pre-race on TV and then the race on F1 TV and then go back to regular TV for the post-race to get Sky. Kind of annoyed by all of that. I'm like... You didn't have Sky on TSN? Sky only does the English language international feed commentary when you do F1 TV. So if you want the other Sky bits, uh, you have okay. to be watching on like your local terrestrial TV like I was watching on ESPN. And they had all the extra Sky stuff. Or if you're like me, you have VPN and later on Sky posts everything on the YouTube channel and you just turn your VPN to a UK address and watch it off their YouTube channel. I may have to do that because I don't have access to any of that pre-race stuff. I was watching all the Formula One stuff before and then just the international broadcast. Yeah, I was watching on F1 TV and I mean, they're okay, but they're not Martin Crofty and Ted and the gang. Well, no, but you get Martin and Crofty on the commentary on F1 TV. But you won't get like Simon and Damon Hill and Jensen Button and Martin Brundle on the pre-race or the post-race show. That's for sure. Well, that's kind of what I'm saying. Like the pre-race, post-race, I had to flip over to terrestrial TV to actually 
get the stuff that I enjoy, right? Like, and I don't have that, so. Yeah, well, if you're like me, like, later on, you just click a few buttons and you watch Ted's notebook and the, the good post-race interviews on Sky. And are you saying the internet is on computers now? Is that correct? Phones, too, Randy. Phones. Guys, it's a series of tubes. Get with it. Fair enough. Fair enough. From a radio call perspective, though, I didn't think there was a lot. And I had to go back and hunt for things that I thought, okay, what stood out for sort of this segment? You know, my big thing was Max proved that there's whining in everybody. And he certainly whined a lot. And Leclerc showed he was a little bit of a joker. (laughs) That was the best. Oh, wait, there's something wrong with my engine. Yes, guys, I'm just joking. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, trying to be a little bit funny on the last lap and everything like that. Yeah, it was interesting because you could hear... For me, you could hear Max's agitation, and that's a new side that we haven't seen from him in terms of how he was getting agitated with the car and with the team and everything like that. If that doesn't calm down, yeah, he's not going to win his second title. Certainly not this year. If it does calm down, maybe if they if they get everything else together. But it was a different side, certainly from the Max that we had last year in the car. Spence, stacks any good calls? Yeah, so what I wanted to talk about was our guy, Carlos Sainz. I mean, if you listen to any of his post-race talk, he said, look, this was my toughest weekend in Ferrari. It was really difficult for me, blah, blah, blah. And I initially took that as you got waxed by your teammate and you're trying to put a good spin on it. But when you go back and listen to him, I guess, on the in-lap, like after the race is done, he's pretty self-critical definitely not happy and it kind of reinforced for me that this guy he's got a burning desire to absolutely take it to Charles this year he wants to be world champion himself he wants to win races the quote that stuck with me is let's work hard this week we got to come back stronger because i need to beat my teammate i need to get on top of Charles. i want to be number one so i really think carlos has got the mindset of i'm going to be champion just like my dad was wrc champion i want to be F1 champion. And I I would agree. I think he definitely does. And that's what he's going for. What I found interesting from the Ferrari team was actually after the qualifying, both of their radios, despite the fact they qualified first and third, both of them were like, we could have done better. We should have done better. It was a bizarre moment because you're thinking this is the first race of the season and you've just put it on pole and third. What did Carlos uh, get? He got pipped by Max by what? Like seven thousandths or something like that? Like, it was very minuscule, yeah. Almost nothing. Yeah, six thousands. Yeah. All right, well, let's move to everybody's last favorite segment. Well, we got 10 minutes left. Winger win. All right, Gareth, get us started. What are your big winger wins this week? One driver observation, uh, race or venue impression, and a future of the sport thought. I mean, I think we've all said this. Our future of the sport thought. It's a great start to a fun new season. So much fun. So exciting. I think it was worth rolling out of bed for super early. And I think we're going to have a fantastic season of development. But let's make sure it endures. Let's make sure it doesn't like shake out or hopefully it doesn't shake out into some sort of, well, this is how it's going to be for the rest of the season when there's no more changes or developments. I think we're going to see a bunch of development by everybody this season. And it's going to be all over the place, which is going to be fantastic. And then my kind of race or team observation, we touched on this already. I think a Red Bull kind of worse champions than Mercedes were 
in terms of being like spoiled, whiny, entitled. They just had a crappy attitude all friggin' weekend. They lost their shit when stuff didn't go their way. And I think we said this earlier, if this keeps up, I don't think they'll repeat their driver's championship. So when you talk about like getting up super early. Mm. I was on Central Time this weekend. I was going to say, you were in Chicago and you had to get up for 10 a.m. Just clarifying, is that super early? (laughs) That's early for Gareth. I mean, you know, we've had afternoon races he hasn't made it out of bed for, so. That was 11 p.m. local time here. Yeah, that's fair. Spence, bring it up from where Gareth left off. All right. Well, look, first thing, my team observation is, and this is not new, but like, dear God, McLaren looks terrible. Lando did not look comfortable. Daniel did what he could from like DFL on the first lap. Didn't look great. I don't know what those guys are going to do to get a chunk of time back, but they need to do something. Otherwise, we're going to have a lot of figuring out whether Danny Orlando is going to finish on top of the other in Q1, right? Like they looked really, really bad. I'm curious though, like, do you think this is just like sand in the petroleum or do you think this is a real, real development issue? Like they just didn't put... Randy, I'm not willing to say that they've got like a fundamentally flawed car yet, but it seems like they are not anywhere near as far down the development curve as other people in the paddock, right? Like the McLaren is nowhere near on a relative basis as strong a car as say their 2021 car was. So I guess we'll have to see. I mean, it looks cool. The Google hubcaps I thought were awesome and someone needs a raise for figuring that out. But from a technical perspective, they're just not there. I do want to point something out on the Google hubcaps, which I thought was hilarious. There was an article today where they talked about some of the the weight savings the teams are doing to try to curb things off. And quite literally taking like 300 grams of paint off a car type scenario. Hence the black part above on the engine cover now for the McLarens. But then they had to paint the hubcaps. So isn't that the negated gain back of the 300 grams that just took off the rear engine cover? I'll let the public decide on that one. Well, it's dollars per gram, Phil. The Google hubcaps are worth more. What happens when you Google, what paint is the lightest? (laughs) (laughs) So, Phil, let me ask you, right, because you're our resident tinfoil hat guy. Like, is this McLaren sandbagging? There's no way that they're going to sandbag in the first race. They're not sandbagging. They have fundamental problems. No team's going to sandbag the first race. Why would you do it? If you end up doing that and you get to race 22 and you're like, damn, we could have won it by now if we hadn't sandbagged that one. How stupid would they look? Well, so let me ask you, Gareth. Is this the engine that is just like we're seeing no. the future by seeing now? Or is this the body no. that's just playing out? There have been some good articles about this from various F1 news outlets. You know, <clears throat> all the Mercedes engine cars, Mercedes, Williams, Merck or uh, McLaren, Aston, they all have different issues. They're not all facing the same issue. And I don't think it's particularly an engine issue. Maybe Ferrari's probably locked in a better engine, but they I don't think got... they have the strongest power unit that they used to have, though. That's, no, they don't. That's and you, and you can't have that strongest power same. unit kind of overcoming some of your other obstacles. Yeah. Oh, so everything else that the power unit last year was overcoming is catching up with them this year. Or if if you have a couple little flaws in your car, you know, a better power unit can help you overcome those. Which goes back to your whinge here, Spence. You felt that Mercedes-Benz just lost the overall power unit advantage. Now, is this because you got outdragged at a stoplight in your AMG by a Dodge Neon? 
Look, my particular AMG power unit is pretty good, right? It, it is is very good. I, I quite enjoy it. <laughs> Your AMG hybrid powertrain? I, I do have an AMG hybrid powertrain. It's F1 technology brought to the street, in case anyone is wondering. Which is awesome until it gets beaten by a Triumph. Right. Okay. Well, it's not beat by a Triumph, just for clarity. Dodge but, dart. But I agree. <laughs> like, they, they were last year the undisputed power king, right? Like, there was no PU last year that was anywhere near Mercedes in terms of its raw pace in the straights. Like, there, there's just no one that was even close. Red yeah. Bull probably had the second strongest last year, but there was a noticeable deficit. I can't help but look at the fact that so many of the finishers, all you finishers in quotations, like people who actually finished the race, not Verstappen, not Perez, like, were Mercedes-powered. It seems like Ferrari has closed the gap, and I really don't think that Red Bull is that far off either. The, the one that I'm kind of wondering about a little bit on the engine front is Renault. I don't know kind of where that is relative to everyone else. Like They talked about making steps in the offseason, but I think that's still a question mark. But I think the takeaway is that Mercedes power cars no longer have a pure power advantage. I think that's for sure. Well, fair enough. All right, so you got some thoughts. Future of the sport. Give us your two thoughts. Yeah, look, future of the sport, I want to say bravo to the FIA. Based on this first race of Bahrain, the new regs seem to be working. Cars seem to be able to follow closer. The racing seems to be closer. Tire dig is not as bad. It, it seems like it's working. It's doing what they set out to do. So we criticized the FIA a lot, particularly at the end of last year when Massey absolutely bottled the last race in Abu Dhabi. There was just a little bit of human error. Yeah, just a little bit. Per the FIA. We also need to give them props when they get something right. And it seems like they got something right. I'm certainly excited for the next couple of years under this formula. And we'll see kind of how it works out. In terms of what I want to look out for next race, it's just one thing. I want to see how does Haas come back? Are they for real? Will we see K-Mag again in a top five, top six position? Or was that kind of a one race fluke? Can our guy Mick get into the points? I would absolutely love to see that. want to see him kind of break his over streak and, and become a, a point-scoring driver in F1. So lots to look out for. You know what? I love that question, though, right? Like, is Haas for real? Because me being the skeptic that I am, I'm, look, are they just setting themselves up to be sold to Andretti? Oh, wow. You say I've got tinfoil hat moments, Randy? Come on. I mean, seriously. You're right, but if I'm Gene Haas, right? And I want to get out from F1. I want to sell my team. He doesn't. He's he doesn't want to get out. According to Andretti, like, right. Andretti's no, asked, asked multiple, multiple times. times. But that's also what I would say if I had something that I wanted to create a little bit of demand for. Haas doesn't no. want out. That's, but, right but, now, he doesn't want out. So, so these, well, these F1 on teams the are franchises now. And you've got you know, Total Wolf, who's a shareholder of franchise, saying, oh, it's going to be worth a million dollars. I don't think Gene Haas wants out. Maybe he doesn't, but what I'm saying is that if I'm sitting there in Barcelona in preseason, and I'm looking around as Gene Haas and saying, you know what? My car's not half bad. You know what? My car's a lot better than people think it is because Haas was so bad last year. I'm going to impress a lot of people. Like If I have an asset that I want to kind of sell for more than kind of what people think it's worth. like You're thinking it's a pump and dump. It is a Vancouver special brought to F1. It is a <laughs> pump and dump. We'll see. I don't know that Haas can keep up this development curve with everyone else. Like, will Haas be able to develop the car as fast as McLaren? 
I kind of doubt it. I guess we're going to see, right? I don't know if they're for real. I'd love it to be true. I want to see K-Mag score points. I want to see Mick Schumacher score some points. I want to see Gunther not be at the very end of pit row in 2023. But I guess we're going to wait and see. Phil, three takeaways, driver or team observation? You know, I think team observation, we beat it to death with, with Haas. I'm loving the fact where they are. I've always liked Haas, and I'm, I'm happy that they've found some pace and, and they're up there. I think we're going to see more of them, but time will tell. I agree with Spencer what he's saying there. They're not going to be able to develop the car as fast as McLaren or anybody else. So from a developmental race, if that's what we get into, it's going to be hard for them to stay in the top 10 on race day. But I do anticipate this season we will see Mick Schumacher get points. We'll see K-Mag get more points. I'd actually disagree with you slightly there, Phil and Spence, only because with the cost cap, Ferrari actually transferred a bunch of staff, technical staff, to Haas, who are working with Haas, and Haas buys as many of its components as possible from Ferrari. I think they've got a deeper bench strength this year. Maybe. And they've got more wind tunnel and CFD time. I agree with you on that as well. That's a good observational input on that. But I think we will see more from Haas this year. I think the team, for me this year, and we've seen it in testing, we've seen it in practice, we've seen it in the race, so long as Ferrari doesn't implode like they have done in previous years from a strategy call perspective. Don't say that. Well, that's true. You have to call it as it is. I think they are the team to watch. I really do. I think they're the team that are going to go and aim for that title this year. and It's their year to make it work. I think Red Bull and Mercedes, they're in the weeds. They've got to figure out what's wrong with their cars from a performance perspective and uh, a quality perspective and get them out. I love this track. I've said this from the beginning. It didn't disappoint. This was a great start to the season. I'm not going to jump all in and say the FIA have this right. From what we've seen so far, they've made a really good start on this. All these regulations and rules are in the right direction. But Formula One is notorious for finding loopholes, for finding little caveats to make an advantage for one team over another. And that's going to happen here. So... I'm not convinced yet that this is the solution to all the racing problems we've had in the past four or five years, but I think this is a great start. All right, so next race. Next race is Jeddah. I'm looking forward to going back. I love it when they change tracks a little bit because you never really know what they're going back to. So they've adjusted some corners and you don't know what that impact is going to be on the race as a whole. So I'm excited to get to Jeddah to see what teams do there and how these cars, which are totally new, function in a much tighter and closed environment. Yeah. My three takeaways, my big ones, driver observation or team observation, I'm kind of at the, like, McLaren, what the heck's going on? And I, I think there's something that's coming that we just don't know yet. I think there's an upgrade somewhere here that, or are they going to use a token, and all of a sudden this thing is all the way back into this race. I think there was a missed factory piece or something like that that just made this race just not worth it. And they weren't expecting it. I don't think they were sandbagging. I just think it was, well, crap, we don't have this. So let's just go and see what happens. But I'm willing to be wrong. I think overall race venue, I love starting in Bahrain too. I like starting in the night race. I like that it's a decent time for North America. You know, I love the the feeling around Bahrain. I think it's a fun race. Don't get me wrong. Albert Park's a blast, and it's a party, and it looks fun. But I like starting at Bahrain. It's a great place to start the season. 
and you get a nice break. And then when you get to Albert Park, that's a whole different story. And we've seen a few races because you can't pass in Australia. It just doesn't happen. So at least here, there was some overtakes. Future of the sport, I'm kind of with Spence on this. I watched some good chases and some solid DRS strategy and some ways of moving that I was not expecting. It's feeling good. So for Jetta, I'm just happy to have a race one week later and to get to spend a week talking to you guys one week later. Usually I got to wait two weeks and it's just text messages. And frankly, it just makes me feel better talking in person. So how much have you had to drink? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just on the wine. No worries. (laughs) Question about Saudi Arabia. Has Sebastian Vettel been confirmed yet? Or are we going to see the Hulk again? So as of right now, there is a story today that Hulk is on standby and they're waiting to confirm. We will know, presumably, in less than 24 hours. I'd like to make a prediction. To the extent that Hulkenberg sits in for Vettel again, I bet you he outqualifies his teammate by more than half a second. Okay. You think Hulk outqualifies Droll? All right. I agree with that. Yeah, I mean, he out-qualified him this time but by three-tenths, yeah. so he's going to do an improvement. Yeah, but let me ask, what happens if it rains? In Jeddah? Yeah, it's not going to rain in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> in Jeddah. I don't know. Okay. You're dreaming, Randy. So, Spence, if you lose that prediction, it's a bet. It's a prop bet. When we go to the Canadian Formula 1 Grand Prix this year, you have to wear a team hat with a tag on it. You know what, Gareth? Luckily for me, I know a guy who's got a lot of hats with tags on them. Now, unfortunately for him, my head is so large that I will probably ruin any of his hats. But Both physically and metaphorically. Yes, of course. Uh, you know what? Frankly, you know, we're in Jeddah, and I trust the rains in Africa. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> Thanks, Toto. Dear, dear God. <laughs> there it is. And it all connects back. And with that, it's a checkered flag on this first episode of Flippin' F1. I've been your host with the most, Ren. We got the professor. Say goodnight, man. Good night, man. We got uh, our tech junkie, Gareth. Good night, everybody. I'm wearing my Kimi Raikkonen t-shirt today because I really missed him that last race. He was always so talkative. We will leave you alone then. And of course, rounding us out is our man, Spence. Toodaloo. Did you just say that? Toodaloo. Flippin' F1 is edited by Eric Wellman. This has been a Hobby Farm production. Have a great night. We'll see you next week.